All right, welcome. It is Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN as uh, we join everybody else in sending out thoughts and prayers for DeMar Hamlin. You certainly are aware of why we're doing such a thing and spent most of the morning on the telephone with various physicians uh, in the area. And one of those doctors with whom I was able to make contact is my friend, Dr. Lori Michael. She is an ER doc and has been one for 23 years years. And uh, being her patient from time to time, I'm certainly uh, very impressed by her work. Uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Michael, can you can you explain to us uh, this this uh, this commotion uh, situation with the heart? I know it's got a specific term, but where somebody is hit in the thoracic region at just the right moment and it throws the heart totally off of its electrical balance. Yes, hi. Can you hear me okay, Tom? Wonderfully, yes. Yes. So, yeah, there's been a lot of attention to this phenomenon of commotio cordis, um, and I'm happy to explain it in a little bit more detail. Uh, so, as we know, yes, it's triggered by a blunt force to the sternum, um, but it what it does is it activates mechanosensitive ion channels. Mechanosensitive meaning sensitive to stretch or force. And if the blunt force occurs, during the re- relaxation phase of the heart, when the, when the ventricles are not fully relaxed, it can initiate what's called a secondary depolarization or an activation of the ventricles before the ventricle has had time to relax. And it's during, uh, it, it, this is how it is able to disrupt the cardiac cycle, causing ventricular fibrillation. Um, now, as, as you know, as an aside, ventricular fibrillation is, incompatible with life um it's a, and then because be, the, the reason is because it's a chaotic um uncoordinated rhythm that you know simply does not allow the heart to distribute blood flow normally uh to the brain and the vital organs so there's this very narrow window in the electrical phase during which this blunt trauma needs to occur in order to cause ventricular fibrillation which is one of the reasons why it's such a rare event um but that's only part of it, Tom. The other fascinating aspect of this is that not every part of the ventricle will be in this particular phase at the same time. Mm. So the blunt force must target this area that happens to be in this phase. And so it's like this perfect storm, so to speak, of factors that need to come together in both uh, space and time uh, to create this rare and, and very unfortunate event. Um now, they say half of these uh, occurrences are fatal, but uh, 80%, the fatality is 80% when there's no quick access to defibrillation or, you know, an AED, essentially. And this is true in all out-of-hospital cardiac arrests. Um, you know, survival to the hospital is directly dependent on the uh, prompt delivery of quality CPR, so on-scene uh, CPR. Now, you know, we all watched this play unfold. And, and yes, there was, there was definitely blunt force to DeMar Hamlin's chest. But there also seems to be I don't, maybe a little disconnect between the mechanism and the resultant injury. Maybe not. But it also begs the question of whether there could be other contributing, you know, factors, which, you know, I'm happy to touch on as well. 
Well, could could those contributing factors involve an underlying and undetected um, electrophysiological uh, situation? Okay, yeah. So, so the biggest risk factor I, it seems to be a history of sudden cardiac death in a family member. Okay, that's a huge risk. But I, I have not heard this mentioned to this point. I don't believe it's a factor. But there are congenital abnormalities that people can have um, and not know for several years that they even have it. One of these is called prolonged QTC uh, syndrome, QTC syndrome. Um, And that is where the electrical phase in the cardiac cycle is longer than normal. And that would widen this window of opportunity for an arrhythmia to occur. So that can certainly contribute. Um, Other things that could contribute to this could be, you know, significant abnormalities in electrolytes such as sodium, potassium, magnesium. Also a consideration, I think, much less likely. Um, And then a seemingly benign recent viral infection that may cause some inflammation of the heart muscle, such as um, myocarditis or even the outer aspects of the heart, the lining of the heart, um, which is the pericardium, uh, pericarditis. Uh, those things can also be additive factors. So, you know, these are all, you know, things that we just we just don't know at this point. Do, do you believe that after the proper um, diagnostics are done that you people in the medical field will have a much better idea of all of the mechanisms which contributed to the horror we saw last night? You know, I, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that, that we have uh, some uh, you know, complete answers to all of our questions on this. Um, I think it's really important, you know, that we find that out. You know, even doing this 20, 23 years, I and seeing as much as I've seen, uh, you know, I watched with the same shock and I was visibly, clearly disturbed, um, you know, watching this just like everybody else. And, and yeah, I, you know, I certainly hope we, we, we uh, get to the bottom of, you know, what happened. Dr. Lori Michael, when you were watching it last night, was your very first instantaneous thought, commotio cordis? Not necessarily. Um, so when I, when I watched it happen, um, and we did not know anything yet, I will tell you what I remember most is the minute I saw a single tear come out of one of the player's eyes. And I don't remember which player it was. The minute, the second I saw that, I, like, I said out loud, I just, I knew without a doubt. I said, he's in cardiac arrest. I just, you looked at the, the player's eyes and you saw a tear. And I said, you know, a, a big grown man, tough, tough man like that is, he is not reacting this way. Um, you know, DeMar's mm-hmm. in cardiac arrest. And it was awful, awful. Uh, it was dreadful. Uh, Damar Hamlin, obviously, is our subject. We're speaking with Dr. Lori Michael, uh, emergency doctor for many, many years, and uh, delighted to have her on News Radio 930 WBEN. You know, I was listening to David Bellavia, who does the show before I come on uh, today, and some people were calling in who were talking about CPR. 
and the number of joules, which is a measurement of electricity uh, that are produced just by CPR. And I think back to having my ICD put in, and it took 26 joules to start my heart again and get it into a, a normal rhythm. So are you able, as a medical doctor, to differentiate what CPR can do in terms of correcting a sudden arrhythmia versus what an AED can do? Yeah, so... I think we, you know, we need to focus on not necessarily the jewels and how much, you know, energy when you're, when you're performing CPR, but the, me- the mechanics of CPR is simply the distribution of blood flow um, to the vital organs and keeping that, um, you know, as much of a constant as you can. Um, now, the AED only comes into play when, you know, there are certain rhythms that would be amenable to, to shocking. So to temporarily halting the heart and essentially, um, you know, getting the heart into a normal rhythm. So, you know, there's the one aspect of of, uh, converting an arrhythmia into a normal sinus rhythm. And then there's the idea of simply mechanically pushing on the chest to distribute blood flow uh, to buy yourself time um, to definitive hospital care. Dr. Lori Michael is with us on News Radio 930 WBEN. Um, at some point, we need to address a couple of things, and one of those issues is uh, hypoxia, uh, lack of oxygen to the brain, as I understand it. Based on what you saw last night and everything we've heard about DeMar's condition, how serious a concern is that for you, given the almost instantaneous CPR? And I'm not sure when they put the AED to work, but some thoughts on hypoxia? Yeah. Um, so, as I had mentioned briefly in, before, you know, the prompt delivery of CPR and defibrillation gives you the best chance to uh, survive to the hospital. And the key words there are survive to the hospital. So it doesn't necessarily mean discharge from the hospital. Um, and so anoxic brain damage is, uh, is a significant concern. Um, and, you know, I, I'm assuming they've performed a, you know, imaging of the brain um, that, you know, anoxic brain damage is something that we, we can see on imaging. Uh, and I think there was definitely enough time there that he did not have a pulse. Um Although I, I just don't know what at what point he was defibrillated. You know, I don't think that is clear when the AED, you know, um, was used. So it's hard to comment on how, um, you know, how, how much I'm concerned about hypoxia. I just don't know how long he went without adequate brain flow. I mean, we, we've heard uh, nine minutes. He may have been gone for nine minutes. But like you, yeah. I don't know when the AED was put into place. And may, maybe I'm wrong. You can correct me because you're the, you're the doctor. Uh, but the sooner the AED would be put into place, the better chance of fewer complications downrange. Yeah, I mean, as, as soon as the AED was uh, put into place and the rhythm was converted, um, you know, you would have restored, you can assume you would have restored fairly normal blood flow, especially in a, you know, a young, otherwise healthy athlete. Um, and and also, you know, age will work for him. Uh, you know, that he can certainly tolerate a little bit 
uh, you know, longer time downtime than someone with other comorbidities, health conditions, and of older age. So, I'm very hopeful that um, that this will, you know, be a positive, uh, you know, turnout for him. Some people have expressed concern over the uh, medically induced coma, the sedation. Is that because he's intubated and your normal response when something is jammed down your throat is to pull it out? Well, you know, there's a few things that they institute when there's been a ventricular fibrillation, uh, out, you know, arrest, where you, you have return of circulation, return of spontaneous circulation. It's something we call ROS. And one of the things we do in those cases, when the patient gets to the hospital, they have a pulse, they have return of spontaneous circulation, uh, is we, you know, we do have a period of time where we, we do sedate them, we keep them paralyzed, intubated, and we even cool them. Um, if they are at a cooler body temperature, then they can uh, focus more on, uh, you know, on uh, preserving the vital organs. And so there has been um, some benefits shown to a period of, of cooling in the uh, neurological outcome of these patients. So it does not surprise me at all that he's still intubated. I don't necessarily, you know, see that as a, you know, a extremely negative sign. I think they're doing what they should be doing at this point. You know, I looked at my mailbox today, and I had a number of emails from people suggesting that the vaccine may be a contributing factor when you use words like myocarditis and pericarditis. Um, as you well know, on the VAERS system, a number of people uh, have said that since the vaccine, they developed these uh, hitherto unknown complications. Um, mm-hmm. Have you any thoughts on that? I think that anything that um, can cause some inflammation to the heart will make it irritable and more susceptible to an arrhythmia. So could uh, a vaccination, any vaccination conceivably that, you know, cause some inflammatory response um, from the heart, could, could that conceivably be a predisposing factor? Sure, why not? Um, so, yeah, I just think it comes under that category of, um, you know, any any condition that might cause an, an inflammatory response from the heart itself. And we, we may never know, which I, I would imagine is a very frustrating aspect of your job, Dr. Michael. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That it is. And it's, and it's disturbing because, you know, you see such a, a young, healthy uh, athlete um, have this happen. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's upsetting to all of us. You know, a, a long time ago, and it might have been uh, before you were practicing medicine, and I just realized I may have inadvertently, uh, <laughs> inadvertently uh, said something uh-huh. I, I didn't mean to. I mean, didn't mean to come out this way. But um, a very long time ago, here in Western New York, there was a young man playing lacrosse, and he was hit with uh, the ball or whatever you call it that is used in lacrosse, and he died. He went into uh, defibrillation, and he. Uh, fibrillation, rather, and he died. As an emergency room doctor for 23, 24 years now, have you seen any deaths uh, that have been caused in all likelihood by commotio cordis? So it happens to be the second most common cause of sudden cardiac death in young athletes. Um, But it is still extremely rare, and I have not seen a case personally in my career uh that that's what is what is the first cause i don't know the answer to that 
Okay, but this is this is number two. What we saw last night, uh, Doctor. Is there anything that I didn't ask you uh, that I should have asked you that is important for our listeners to understand about what we witnessed last night on the field? I think Tom, we covered uh, we covered everything that was you know on my agenda. Well, I, I thank you very kindly, uh, Dr. Laurie Michael, and uh, I will be in touch. Hopefully, I won't be seeing you face-to-face anytime very soon. <laughs> Sounds good, Tom. All right. Thank you very much. Dr. Laurie Michael, uh, who is just a terrific uh, emergency doctor. I've uh, been uh, I've been treated by her on quite a few occasions, actually, and uh, am grateful for her time. She's a very reassuring person to have uh, at your side when uh, things are a little bit up in the air. It is uh, 2.52 at News Radio 930 WBEN. Uh, coming up on the show, we will continue to carry any updates on the condition of DeMar Hamlin that we are able to bring you. Uh, we will invite your telephone calls along the way. And one of the aspects of uh, David Bellavia's show that I found particularly interesting at the beginning a number of phone calls from individuals who have been involved in life-saving. There was a fellow who was uh, an Air Force veteran who very passionately and in great detail talked about performing CPR. And you might have heard the call. The gentleman was penning his resignation, I believe, from the Air Force on a beach somewhere where they don't speak English. And there was a hubbub down the beach, so he ran over. And he, along with the lifeguard, neither of whom spoke one another's language, were able to team up, both of them knowing CPR, and save a life. And along the shores of Lake Erie, a few years ago, and I hope to hear from this gentleman uh, coming up in the next part of the program, uh, there was a young girl who went into Lake Erie and came out of Lake Erie, and she was not breathing nor did she have any detectable pulse, as I recall. And this man's daughter, a lifesaver, was able to, after an extended period of time, make sure that this young lady was resuscitated. And the deal is, once you start, uh, when you are certified in CPR and lifesaving, as I understand it, the deal is, once you start with a patient you do not stop with that patient until somebody above you, uh, above you in, let's say, pay grade or licensure or certification comes in to take over for you. And as I recall the story, uh, when this young girl was driven away in an ambulance to a hospital, there was very, very little hope uh, that there was going to be survivability. But as it turned out, because of the CPR administered by uh, this guy's daughter, she was actually able to come back and thank his daughter many weeks later uh, for saving her life. So CPR, it's it's a good thing to know. And I think that this also, um, as Dr. Michael said, it's going to be interesting to see if there are new protocols established in the world of professional sports. Um, Think about soccer, European soccer. Think about the National Football League. Think about the National Hockey League, although I'm not quite sure where you'd put AEDs in the boards. I I do wonder if uh, there will be an increased focus on more 
AEDs uh, conveniently located. Playing baseball, for example. I mean, should there be three in the outfield and should there be maybe another three in the infield, one at home plate? Uh, because those AEDs uh, are absolute lifesavers. You might have one at work. You might have gone through uh, training in the automatic external defibrillator. Um, and it's uh, obviously something that uh, was very important last night, but we don't know when it was uh, when it was applied. Uh, nor have we found out yet which Buffalo Bills are still in Cincinnati at University of Cincinnati Medical Center to be with uh, Demar Hamlin. Uh, but it was just you know you you go from uh, watching a football game uh, and okay. The Bengals go down, they score seven. The Bills go down, they score three. Bengals get the ball back, they're on the move. And then all of those things that seemed so incredibly earth-shakingly important, they all went out the window in the twinkling of an eye. And if you were watching the game last night, could, could you tell, and we'll get into this when we take some telephone calls later on, but... Could you tell when it wasn't an ACL, when it wasn't a broken arm or even a, a broken leg? There, there was a certain urgency and emergency to the situation last night, which was visible, I thought, on the field after Mr. Hamlin fell down without even trying to brace his fall uh, in a, uh, 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 a supine position. And the looks, and, and the looks on the players, in particular of the Buffalo Bills, because they showed the Bills players more than they did the Bengals on uh, the telecast. I was watching the thousand-mile stare, the tears, and there was a time when Stephon Diggs was trying to rally the troops, but then he must have been told something because his demeanor changed 180 degrees from trying to rally the troops to tears uh, when he was told or learned what the situation was with uh, DeMar Hamlin. But I just want to congratulate the coaches of the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals for being, you know, the expression is overused perhaps, but the adults in the room. And I don't know whether or not the NFL says, oh, no, the five-minute thing, that was never under consideration. Well, why would every media source say that the game will resume in five minutes or should resume in five minutes under NFL protocol? Uh, but that would have been absolutely uh, disastrous. That game could not continue last night. It probably won't even be played. It is Bowerly on News Radio 930 WBEN. Thank you so much for being with us.